Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Cloud-Based Mayhem. Got a great show for you today. As you've heard on the last couple of shows, I was down at the Monarca in January in, in Valle de Bravo. We had six epic days of racing around the sky in paragliders. Uh, I think there was 150 people in the comp. It was absolutely just, just awesome weather, fantastic racing. And uh, a friend of mine was there, Marco Hergatich. hope I'm saying that right, but... Uh, longtime PwC pilot, uh, just Air Jedi, really, really, really solid pilot. Uh, usually flies two liners, of course, in the World Cups, but he was down there on the ENC, the Triple Seven Queen, and just crushing. He totally won the sport class easily. I think he was still top five overall, maybe even a little bit better than that. He was one of the only six that made goal on the final day. We set a really long task. I was on the task committee, and we set a big one on the last day. Uh, he was one of the few to get in, and uh, but just you know, totally gliding with everybody that were on the Enzo threes and the booms and the really fast you know two liner wings on a C. Uh, Marco lives now in Valle, has a has a school there, instructs there, uh, planning on doing the 2019 X Alps. Just prolific pilot and has a lot to offer. And many of you have been asking for real you know a lot more specifics on technique especially when it comes to three liners because most of the guests on the show are, are two liner pilots so this is all about you about three line gliders about uh gliders that are a little bit lower level but as as we saw in the monarca you can still make them go really really good and uh so this is all about instruments and harnesses and hand position and weight shifting and how much brake pressure and how to glide better. So a lot of, you know, real specifics on how to make you fly faster. A lot of people actually at the race were coming up at the end and going, God, man, I can hang with you guys in the lead gaggle for a little while and then I just lose you. And I mean, I don't understand how do you fly so fast? So this will answer that and uh, give you a lot of things that you can go out and practice on even with, when you're not at a comp. Uh, Marco also has just ran the first edition of this very cool air race he's doing down there in in Valle, which he's going to do from now on. So keep an eye out for that and check out the website, all the show notes that go with this show, because uh, he we talk about polar curves. So those of you that are confused about that or how to use them, uh, how to use McCready, uh, we have a really good discussion about that. Um, so all that's going to be in the show notes. He gives, there's a lot of links there to the things he's talking about. If you're kind of unsure, you just want to brush up or want to know how to put it in your instrument. That's all in there. Those of you who've been to Valle, you know, it's a pretty loud place. So there's honking and dogs and a lot of cars and trucks in the background. Uh, it's still worth it. I know that's annoying, but, uh, it kind of sets the tone for where he is and that's okay. That's what we had to deal with. So please enjoy this awesome, fascinating talk that I think you're going to get a lot out of with Marco Hergatich. Marco, man, so cool to catch up with you. I wish we could have done this a couple weeks ago down at the Monarca Live, of course, but uh, it's, it, I've been 
actually dying to talk to you anyway because you were just crushing on the E and C on the Queen. So we're going to talk about that glider and how you make that thing go so fast because uh, that was really awesome to see just cruising around the lead gaggle and crushing so hard. But um, before we do, I know many of the uh, pilots listening to the show know who you are and have, and have maybe gone to your courses and flown in your comps or seen you at the World Cups over the years. But um, can you give us kind of a – uh, a quick rundown of your your history of, of flight. Okay, Gavin. Uh, well, hi everybody. Uh, my name is Marko Hergetic, and I come from Croatia. And I'm just flying. Uh, it will be tri- 13 years uh, in the comp scene, probably like 11 years, uh, and flying World Cup. Uh, Probably around nine years, maybe less two years. I just uh, didn't have time to go. The last one was, I think, in Azure, uh, like two years ago. And yeah, I was uh, CLM in the Croatian team uh, at the World World Championships and uh, European Championships. But uh, we'll see what's if I'll keep on doing that or or not. I'm an instructor, a uh, master instructor of API, and uh, been teaching already a couple of years, almost 10 years uh, from now, uh, starting in Croatia and now doing it here in Mexico. And what was the catalyst to bring you to Mexico? How did all that unfold? <laughs> you know, women. <laughs> well, <laughs> as all good things do yes yeah uh i came here actually for the world championship 2009 and then at the closing ceremony i met my wife and that's how it unfolded uh later on so that was yeah is she a pilot something. or is she mexican or both 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 ah. And is your is your work hundred percent flying related? Yeah, now yes. I had some other businesses before, but flying really took me well, takes me all the time I have. So I'm just dedicated for flying. And, and does Valle work for for instructing and for lessons year round? Like, tell tell me a little bit about your your school. What is are you are you just mostly teaching beginners? Are you doing XC clinics or what? What does it involve? Well, we work all year round. For this, VIA is really great. Like we have flyable 330, 340 days per year. Even in the rainy season, we can fly in the morning. Uh, so it's really great place. So when you come to fly to learn some course, you know that you're going to fly. So this is really great about VIA. And then as the season here changes, so we have the dry season and the rainy season and the conditions also during the months change, we program the courses that we give depending on the season. And mostly I teach from the beginner courses to the instructors. So uh, for now it's like that. I don't know if in the future maybe we'll split a little bit. But for now I am from the beginners to the instructors. I help a lot uh, to create new Tandem pilots and instructors here in Mexico, licensed. I work as an examiner for API and uh, so, yeah, everything. It's just a little bit split it depending on the months and the season when we can do what. Some seasons we do just beginner courses, some, se- some months we do cross-country courses depending on the season. And 
was that was that tricky as a, as a foreigner to is or is that because it, because your wife is Mexican that's not a big deal was that tricky to you know to just uproot and move to a different country and start a paragliding school I mean was it uh, was it quite hard to start getting your first clients and stuff or was that was it was it pretty seamless uh, I would say well it has like two points of view uh, for getting uh, the clients I wouldn't say it was not so big problem because as I already won here a couple of competitions before I opened the school so more or less people knew me so it was a good start uh, but you know always when you go to work in some other country you have to work the you have to be like twice as better as the locals if you want to be at the same level so mm. I must say I work hard. We work hard. Uh, it's every day, 14 hours uh, from teaching and preparing and, and things. So, so it's working. Maybe the first year was a little bit like not so work, but not so much work. But now it's it runs good. And you you've said Api a couple times. I'm not even familiar with that. Is that is that the uh, is that the is that the body? Is that the is that the license that that the students end up getting? Is that a, is that a Mexican uh, federation or who is that? So API is an uh, organization that comes from Switzerland. Well, it's registered in Switzerland. It's an organization like any other paragliding organization. Just this one is international. API means Association of Paragliding Pilots and Instructors. Mm. Uh, API has a couple of years of history, uh, and it's the idea of API was to create a system that could be like international, uh, recognized, and a chance for a pilot that can learn in one country and then go to fly in another country and have his license uh, recognized. API is quite still new, uh, but. API as an organization is recognized by FAI, mm. and so for us uh, here for Mexico, it's uh, in terms of FAI, it's the official system for schooling here and in some other countries also around the world. Uh, like for people that really want to know what it is, they can find it on apifly.org. Like uh, a lot of information about it. So we use in my school the API system uh, for teaching and for licensing. Uh, and yeah, it's a really nice way to learn. We, we actually, I was actually twice in the US, probably some listeners uh, will know. Uh, in Salt Lake City, we were giving uh, workshops for uh, instructors and tandem pilots uh, how to like improve their skills and uh, how to become instructors and tandem pilots and also get certified uh, for NDIP system. T take me real, real quickly, Marco. There, there are a, a lot of listeners that are that are very new uh, to the sport, and you know, I, I think one of the frustrations um, that I hear a lot of from listeners is that you know it depends so much on who you go to. And, you know, if you're 
Oppy or Ushba or Swiss or French, you know, they, they, they're, there's a lack of standardization, I think, uh, when it comes to, to teaching and learning paragliding. Um, you know, again, very briefly, uh, but you're, you know, the Oppy system or what, what, what would, you know, a total, somebody who's never flown, you know, that comes to your school, what are you, you know, take me through the syllabus. We do it a little bit. Uh, I know Yushpa system uh, because we, we like uh, trying to do also some uh, interchanging with the Yushpa system. Uh, what I can say about API, we have uh, quite good the idea of how to teach to be autonomous pilot. Okay, uh, the the system of teaching is actually quite a big part. It's copy of the French system, uh, probably something also from the Swiss system. So it gives uh, it creates pilots, not chauffeurs, the pilots that really think, and uh, it's a lot of emphasis on the autonomy, uh, on the decision making, uh, analysis uh, during the flight, before the flight. Uh, so it has some quite good benefits uh, that people that come into API uh, from maybe some other system, they can really notice the difference. Hmm. Um, okay, shifting gears here a little bit. When I got down to the Monarca, you guys were just wrapping up uh, the XC Sky Race, which I think was the first edition of that. Is that right? Tell, yes, tell it was... <laughs> Yeah, get, tell, tell us, tell the listeners about that because that seemed like a really cool way to race paragliders. That was pretty fun. That was, this was kind of your brainchild. Yes, we were like the idea was to create a competition where you don't uh, need to have a top gun glider to win. Uh, that was the idea, and then also then to show your real cross country skills. Uh, for everybody in the same conditions on the same terrain you know it, it's not that maybe someone who makes uh, has money and goes around the globe uh, i don't know to Kishada or somewhere else and makes a huge flight that he's actually the best cross-country pilot we wanted to make a competition where we can see who's the best cross-country pilot but same conditions same everything and just who will make uh, the more so that was the main idea of the competition. That was the main idea. And then also, like there are many pilots that uh, don't like to compete on the competitions because they say, eh, well, they always send us somewhere that I don't want to go. So here on our comp, you can fly wherever you want. You're, you make your own task, you fly wherever you want. And at the end of the day, who makes more kilometers, like more valuable flight, he will be the winner of the day. That was like the, say, the general idea of the of the competition. Yeah, to talk talk briefly about how you scored it because it was kind of a combination of you know you the pilots would upload their flights to X contest, uh, so that was that was a score. But you also had a couple kind of an, a couple of interesting uh, ways to, to handicap depending on the glider you were on. And then a, a really interesting finish. I don't know if I even understood that, but a, a cool way to, uh, you know, so it was a combination of average time. Give me, give me all the components that, that, that created the score. So the score, like the formula that we made for scoring, uh, I was really like, uh, doing, uh, 
brainstorming about it a lot uh, how to make something interesting and what's the most valuable of the cross-country flight uh, if you want to make a competition so the scoring uh, is not so complicated basically you get a flight uh, as any other cross-country flight depending if you make uh, an open distance or you make a flight triangle or FAI triangle you get scores for for that uh, but the trick was where you can fly wherever you want, but you have to get back in, around the takeoff in the five kilometer radius. So you don't get the negative points. It's like making a goal. So you have to make your own flight plan. Uh, so it, at the end, you end up close to the goal. Maybe you can end up also somewhere further, but you will lose some points. That is all a part of the tactics. So that and then it was multiplied by the formula by the handicap factor of the gliders. So the idea is that all the gliders can participate. It doesn't matter if you have a top gun glider or maybe big glider, C glider, you get more points if you're flying a lower class glider. Also, we wanted to do this a little bit for for other brands that don't have top uh, top notch gliders. Uh, to participate on the competitions because it's a good chance. Okay, maybe you don't have a the best CCC glider, but I have a the best B glider and I can make really uh, good flights. So that was uh, another part in the formula. And then the the complete second part of the formula would uh, give you points for the speed. So you could fly the same route but in faster time. Uh, as your buddies in the same category and you would score more points. We wanted to do this. So it's the idea of the cross country flight or, or the value is like personally for me, the, the cross country flight has a big value when it's planned and you can come back at the same place where you started. So you all, you made a good, good plan about your flight. And then, also, if you made made it faster than someone else, mm-hmm. so so we have maybe two pilots. They fly same category of the glider. They make the same flight, but one of them made it one hour faster. So he should get more points because he was flying faster. So he was more efficient. So he should get more points. So that was like the other part of the formula that was giving the the average speed points uh, for the pilots. And sometimes it made some changes in the scoring depending on the how the other pilots did. So it was quite uh, interesting to to see how it works. Yeah, I see. It's an awesome concept. There, uh, a, a good friend of mine and a guy I know, you know, Nate Scales here in, in Sun Valley. I think this was our third year. He runs a, a comp called the Intermountain Wide Open, and it's uh, similar to yours, but different too, but it, it's, it's, uh, it's, we, it's basically your best four scores on X contest over kind of a two and a half week period. And, but you can pick the the site as well. So it's, you know, so it invites people from Nevada because we're really spread out here, as you know, in the States. And so it's a great way for, to, to encourage a bunch of people to fly. And at the end, it's just bragging rights of, you know, who went the farthest, but I really like your concept because you're, you guys are, you know, you're picking out a task, you're, you're flying, you know, at the same place, the same day. And, and like you said, if it was just X contest without the speed component, you know, you could fly really conservatively 
and you know try to stay in the air for seven hours in Valle, which would be a pretty long flight in the middle of winter, and and go really big. But you know it's maybe not as tactical and as much strategy and as you know uh, efficient as as trying to fly something really fast. So I think I think you're really onto something there. It's it, that's a it's a great concept. Yeah, it's uh, like people liked it. We have to still like for the next version, we'll make some small upgrade in this uh, scoring uh, in the average speed. Uh, we saw like some things that are maybe not so perfect. Uh, one of the reasons why I competed on the also I was the organizer, but also competed. I wanted to see how it works, the like where we can play and how the formula should be designed and uh, maybe some upgrades uh, in the future. Very cool. Very cool. Well, listeners, I would, and I assume you're going to do that next year, right before the Monarca as well. I'm definitely going to come down and join it because it looked like a blast. And uh, so listeners, I'll have that up in the, in the show notes, the link to the XC Sky Race and, and Marco's deal. That'll be, that'll be a lot of fun. I'm sure you'll see a lot more pilots in it next year. That'll be great. Um, Marco, let's transition to you, uh, the queen. Okay. So, I mean, I think a lot of people were but there was there was two of you guys flying the the seven 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 gliders, and uh, both of you were flying really fast. Uh, Ryan Bloom was on the other one. We get a lot of questions about three glide three liners, and th- this is a great opportunity to to get into all that because you know all those years. I think you said eleven years of comp flying, a lot of a lot of World Cups and World Championships championships, and on. Uh, you know, serial and CCC gliders and stuff and open class gliders, um, you know, you were on a C on this one. So uh, I'd love to, I'd love for you to share your thoughts on how you were making that go so fast, because it's, you know, clearly, you know, being in Valle helps, you know, you know, you know, the area really well, but um, you know, it, there, you, you definitely had some secrets on all of us. So I, I'd, I'd love to just kind of tap into, you know, some of the things that you can pass on to our listeners that are flying B's and C's. Um, maybe let's just start with, uh, start with some tips and, and tactics. What, what are you, what are you thinking about? Like in the, during the Monarca, what were your, you know, what are some of the things you were doing that you maybe saw other people not do? Okay. So I, I will tell you like in the order what, uh, because it was like a puzzle. It was many things that I put it together that at the end worked out good. Uh, so I will like tell you the whole story. Great. I think what what helped quite a lot is that a week before Munarka, I flew in in six days. We flew like thirty five hours of. I flew thirty five hours, <laughs> so I was quite uh, like sharpened. I know the terrain, I know how it works, so that helped quite uh, a lot. But then, uh, for the comp, uh, I must say, I made like a mindset that I will be flying a sea glider, so some decisions that normally you would make on a on a comp glider, well, you ha- you can't make. So I really like prepared for myself, okay, I will fly, I, I can't win. Uh, the whole thing that's for sure but there are some advantages of flying a a sea glider uh, on the comp like i won't for sure be pushing the bar till the end uh, in front because everybody will pass me but if the guys are already in front i can use this a little bit for make a better uh better strategy Mm. uh 
some good tips like I flew quite relaxed uh, I must say uh, one of the reasons was the glider uh, sea glider really relaxed I didn't had uh, I didn't get tired really relaxed so I was I could really be focused on not making mistakes uh, during the flight. That was also one of the, like a little bit of the mindset uh, preparing was like, don't make big bad mistakes, especially on the on the very beginning, just like be focused. And I think the flying uh, more relaxed helped a lot uh, with this, like having a, a cool head. Mm-hmm. Uh, some 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 advantages I had uh, was uh, the first, especially the first days we had uh, the conditions with strong thermals, but really tight uh, thermals. And maybe on each glide I would come a bit lower than, than the leading group, but I could catch up with the uh, with the thermaling. So every thermal I would be already on the top of the thermal. So this this really helped me to to stay. In the leading gaggle. Let's let, before before you go on because that that that's one that you know especially lower hours pilots, but you know even the experts. Um, you know, tell me about some techniques there because uh, I, I was actually fielding a lot of questions in Menarca, and people would come up and go, "Man, how are you guys climbing faster?" Um, you know, so talk about talk about the subtleties of of out out climbing other gliders. Because it's not, I think a lot of new pilots assume that, oh, you just got to turn inside everybody. And that's not what it is. It's, you know, there's a lot of other things going on there. I would say the, like a tip for all the pilots. If you want to climb good, you have to always search a better climb. So, and this also is quite related with with the feedback from the glider. But I got the, the queen. I, it's really stiff glider, and I was a little bit afraid if I will feel the thermals uh, because it's really important for you to feel the thermal where it's going to be stronger when you move up in the thermal. And so, what what worked out quite good for me that every thermal that we started, I would come with a group maybe a bit lower. I could feel where the core was and just was able to to center it better and. Uh, and what also helped a bit, uh, I could make uh, tighter turns, uh, so I could I could catch up uh, the group. But the feeling on the on the glider is quite important, and then also being uh, relaxed. Mm. Okay, keep keep going with your other tactics. Then I'm gonna I'm gonna drill down on some of this stuff. <laughs> okay, when when flying a flying a sea glider. Uh, a good advantage is uh, like when the things go wrong, it's you can fix it up quite uh, good. So I really didn't have a problem flying in turbulence. Uh, you know the task when we were flying over the crazy thermal and uh, spine, like I don't know how many pa- times we passed there, like six times. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like I I I was on full bar. All of the time, and it was just going sometimes like uh, five meters per second up on the full bar, uh, and <laughs> I noticed for most of the pilots, where like, I was there, uh, there was Kansas, uh, 
and every time they got a little bit like of the lift, everybody would like Back release a little bit of the speed. Yes. Yeah. And little by little, I was catching there the guys. I just didn't didn't touch the brakes uh, at all. Just going on bar and controlling the glider with the BC system, and and that's it. Uh, and, and it was a really. For me, it was a good advantage. Like uh, for me, if it was turbulent, it was a really good advantage uh, on, on, on those. Yeah, on you just didn't, didn't have to come off. I, I could tell that watching you. You're just you were just powering through. Like it's just so it's so unusual to fly through on full bar through a five meter climb. But that was the day to do it for sure. <laughs> that was so much fun. <laughs> um, okay, so. Next question. That's great. That's a great lead in. You were talking about, you know, controlling the glider on the BCs, you know, so a lot of lower hour pilots, you know, they, they are quite mystified by, um, you know, like the, the two liner thing using the badger bars flying on the bees, whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, using those instead of going to your brakes to catch mostly everything, you know, clearly that's, uh, a time thing, you know, that's just experience. But, um, you know, I am, I haven't flown a three liner in years. So, uh, talk through, you know, how, how should people who are just learn, you know, maybe they're stepping up to their first C, how should they approach it? And then how, where, what, what's the goal? Okay. What I teach on the cross country courses, uh, especially the more advanced ones, hands up. Like, the, the hands are up, except when you're thermaling, then the hands are down. But the hands up all the time. Uh, we try, like, don't touch the brakes. Uh, on the glides, when it's a bit turbulent, turbulent or whatever, every time you touch the brake, you will lose the performance. You slow down, you slow down, you lose your glide, and then after... Uh, uh, Sometimes the guys that didn't touch the brakes, they really leave you. This is uh, well something we uh, were uh, talking about uh, about uh, Bruce Goldsmith uh, article. I completely agree. Uh, the 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 nowadays gliders should be if you want to really make a performance, you should be flying with uh, without using the brakes on the glides. Also, there are some like advantages and disadvantages. Uh, the new gliders, they are all like made that they can adjust themselves a bit without touching the brakes, like something like a reflex technology. So the, the glider just cuts uh, through. And then, especially if you are putting the brakes on if you're pulling the brakes on the glider on the transitions on the speed bar your profile actually becomes much more unstable and it's more prone uh, for collapsing mm. so heads up it's a good tip uh, you have to be like relaxed on your glider and of course you won't be doing hands up uh, if you're close uh, somewhere to the rocks and and you didn't make an, a good SIV and you don't know your glider yeah. uh, but if you want the performance, I tell to the students, hands up, it's 10% performance. It's like It's like jumping from B to C glider uh, just with flying uh, hands up. And then, again, uh, controlling a little bit the pitch and the movement uh, during, the, during the glides on the speed bar. 
one thing is uh, controlling it with the legs, with the, with releasing or pushing the speed bar uh, if you're not on full all the time, and then uh, controlling with with the back risers. So here with controlling the glider with the back risers, uh, well, there are some couple of like different uh, opinions about it. I really like how Polish brothers uh, nailed it with the BC system on the BC system on the on the Queen and the King. I, I must say it was the first time uh, first glider with uh, BC system I, I flew. Uh, so for the people that know what it is, it's a small bridge between the B risers and the C risers. That so when you pull. So when you're pulling, you're pulling not just the C's, you're pulling also actually also the B's. So it, it will behave, I would say, as a two-liner. So for controlling it in the turbulence, it's really, really efficient. You're not uh, distorting the profile of, uh, of your wing like on a regular three-liner when you're pulling just, uh, uh, just uh, back risers. Some guys say, uh, some designers of some companies say, if you don't have the like bridge between Bs and Cs, rather use the Bs, so you don't lose uh, the performance. And I, I must agree that every time you pull the back risers on the glider, you are also losing there the speed. If you check your wing up above you, you will see it. It, uh, it deforms the profile, which in the with the queen doesn't happen when you're pulling. It really pulls it as it would be a two-liner, and your trailing edge is nice and clean all all the time. So let's let let let's sit on that for a second because I, I think a lot of pilots don't know that. So if you don't have the kind of symmetrical connected system that the that the Malich brothers have done on the the king and the queen, you're saying it's it's actually better to reach around and still fly it on the bees on a three-liner. Well, that's I, I, I personally fly with the C's. Okay, okay. Uh, I feel it much more comfortable, and uh, pulling the B's it's quite hard. Yeah. Uh, I know Wallis brothers; they say it would be better to pull the B's uh, than the C's. Uh, but it has it's like when I'm flying the the night, it's a low B. It doesn't have a BC system. I use the back risers, but I will always try to avoid to to use it just. If I really, really need it, I would rather release the bar a bit with my foot uh, than touching the the risers or the brakes. Like okay, so do more with your feet. Yes, do more with the feet uh, and less with the hands or on any glide. Okay, would you would you say that's the case with two liners as well? Well, with the two liners, it's. You can control much better, like the whole profile of the glider. So I would say a combination of both on the two liners works works quite good. Okay. Um, speed. So a lot of people were coming up to me at, at the Monarca, you know, day three, day four. Uh, Gavin, man, how do I fly faster? You, you guys just leave us. You just leave us. And and uh, um, you know what? What are some and, you know, my response to that, you know, most of these people that were asking that had only flown a couple comps, you know, or maybe that was the first one and that's just experience. But what do you tell your students about, you know, starting to pick up efficiency and speed, uh, when you're, when you're flying XE? 
if you want to fly fast, the the first thing you have to do is climb fast. That is like you 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 can have a better glider or better glide or you're pushing more speed bar, but that is really something irrelevant in comparison of how much time you lose in thermaling. If you really want to fly fast, then you have to be really good at thermaling. It's where you spend the most of the time because your average speed when you're thermaling is zero. So the more time you stay thermaling, the slower you'll be flying. And that that was like the key where we, like the guys were flying fast because they really was, we would find the thermal quite good. We would climb it fast, uh, really just straight into the core one round and we were in the core, climb it fast and when it got weak, we were left uh, just like spent as least time in the thermal, that was the core. And I can see like a tip for for uh, upgrading your performance when you're thermaling and uh, when you're flying. So if you know it was like a four meter per second thermal and suddenly drops down to one, let's go. You don't stay there another couple of rounds, which I see a lot uh, with uh, beginners. They stay and they need more altitude, more altitude. And then, of course, the guys in front got another four and you are still in one. So it's thermaling, it's, it's the number one thing. Uh, just like you better you thermal good and be have a clear decision when to leave the thermal what about when you're on glide uh speed bar i heard i heard farmer say some some really interesting things about uh you know just being super loose and and really allowing your your hips and your butt to to go with the with the glider when you're on when you're you know pressing a lot of bar and being on glide you know the the importance of being super relaxed can you can you talk about that in, in, in other words to, to avoid collapse you really wanted to go with it to you know to, to weight it and and to go with the the sink whereas I, I think that's kind of opposite of what people mentally think. You know, if it suddenly drops to the right, you 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 go to the left. You know, but you really have to go with it. Yeah, you have to go with it. I like personally, my harness that I fly is uh, the the ventral strap is completely loose. Mm-hmm. I, I I fly really with harness that is super unbalanced, like really unstable. Uh, it helps in thermaling, but it's not so good on maybe speeding. Uh, Speeding, it it moves a lot. Uh, so, so in other words, you want to be ex- explain that for the folks that don't don't that may may have lost you there. So you want to be really sensitive. You want to feel everything. That's why you have it really opened up. Yes, uh, I like it like that. So to feel uh, the thermal, you can feel the convergence or the lines, uh, but it has also a downside. Uh, it, the, when you get the collapses, they are bigger. The good thing is you have a more chance of counter steering with a more loose uh, ventral strap. Uh, so that's a good good thing. The bad thing is when you're on the speed bar, it's really unstable the harness. Uh, so you have to really work it work it uh, good with your body so you don't get the collapse. But you were you were mentioning if you put yourself really stiff. 
and the uh, harness is uh, very unstable, then you will be getting collapses all the time. So you re- you have to work. Maybe if you are flying, I know some harnesses, you can adjust this uh, how you want it, stable or unstable. So maybe on some, you can be more stiff. But in my case, as I fly, I like it uh, quite unstable. Okay. Weight shift. Talk to me a little bit about that. You know, there, there's been quite a few questions that come through that are, people are confused about, you know, should I have a hammock harness or should I have a seat board? Um, you know, and obviously these are, these are dependent on, you know, the objective and what you're doing. Are you flying comps? Are you flying hike and fly? But, um, you know, your, your students or your XC students, what do you advise them on when it comes to gear and take me through the whole gamut, harnesses, instruments, wings? With the harnesses, I must say I'm not a fan of hammock harnesses uh, for two reasons. It's uh, like both related uh, to safety. Uh, personally, I think if I hit uh, maybe some rocky ground, uh, having a seat board is uh, something that will probably save me a bit more. But then there is this other thing, uh, like the hammock harness, normally you don't have so much force to make a counter steering especially when you have some situations when you have a big cravat and uh, the glider is pulling you into the sat auto rotation Uh, so in this kind of situations you really want to have uh, some like uh, yeah seat board so you can lean completely on the opposite side to go out of the problem. Otherwise, if you just hit the brake, you will stall the glider and you end up in the trees, which I saw quite recently already a couple of situations with the combination of uh, glider, hammer harness, and uh, cravatted sat or spiral. Uh, the A gliders now, they fly, they have like uh, the new ones, glide, nine to one glide. It's like better than my first comp glider. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I make when I fly cr- cross country courses here. I fly an A glider with my students, and we make a nice uh, cross country flights on on an A glider. Uh, maybe they're flying a B glider or also an A glider, and we make nice cross country flights on an A glider. So it flies amazing, and it's like no worries, brain free gliders. That's great. Yeah, that that is just fantastic. Um, what about instruments? How, how, where do you steer people there? Because, you know, there's the, there's been this big transition in the last couple of years to, you know, people being able to use apps and smartphones and stuff. Um, what about, what about that? Uh, well, like my favorite instrument is the Audi, Audi from Aviter, I must say. Uh, even though I was uh, working before a little bit on the development of LK8000 uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, personally, I'm like, uh, I don't like to have too much stuff because then I like start losing it. And so the cell phone, then you need an extra battery and uh, the app and uh, data and you don't see the screen and like uh, and you need a vario part so i like to have just one thing that has everything what i need uh, that's me personally uh, how i like it and does the is the udi have one of those kind of thermal tracking you know, i don't know what you, what you call that uh helper you know that kind of shows the circles and where it thinks the core is do you, do you use that do you utilize something like that 
Yes, yes, it has it. Uh, and I must say that I use it really a lot, especially uh, like on the comp. Uh, every time I want it, like it, it gives you really a good advantage uh, when you're a little bit below to see where was a better thermal by uh, looking the colors and uh, the guiding that the instrument gives you. So I, I really use it a lot. For me, it's for thermaling, it's a really fantastic thing. It's just important to say, like, for the beginners, uh, you can't be thermaling and watching the instrument all the time, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Look up. We had some mid-airs down there, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. yeah right. So, so but, but the instrument is a really important part, uh, especially if you're flying across country alone and you want to be efficient. You make a – you can try it, like, uh, for pilots that uh, didn't try the thermal helper – you make a, a couple of turns and you think, oh, maybe the thermal, yeah, it was here. I just moved a couple of meters. And then when you see the map, you see that you moved a lot. You're really somewhere else than the thermal was. And you can always come back uh, to the, where was the good spot. Yeah. So I must say, it, it's it, it's important thing. I, I really I really recommend it. But okay, I wouldn't uh, recommend it to the very beginner like take just something that makes beep and uh, anyways you have to concentrate on the traffic and uh, the type of turn and stuff and later on you can think about having uh, screening colors and help you out with that stuff. What are you thinking about? You, you know, I, I, I maybe kind of cut you off earlier. Uh, the, tell me again, you were, you were kind of talking about some of the strategy points and tactics you were thinking about during the race. You know, I know you've brought a lot of that across from your, your World Cup and World Championship experience and nationals and all that kind of thing. Talk about that a little bit more because I think you've got a lot of valuable things to, to you know, for, for those that are listening that, you know, don't have a lot of comp experience, you know, take us through day one to day end, you know, kind of how you should be, how you should think about it, how you should train for it, how you should, you know, approach each day. Um, what are, what are the kind of the things, how do you set yourself up for, for success in a comp? Okay. The first thing I, I, this one, I got, uh, this tip uh, gave me one uh, friend, one Slovenian pilot. It's uh, don't uh, screw up the first day, okay? That's what <laughs> I that's, <did>. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that is like uh, rule number one. First day, don't, like, first day you make it to the goal. And then later on you can just upgrade. So that's, like, I would say tip for all the pilots competitors first day it's the day that in general people we won't be pushing so hard and so just make it to the goal and after that you will have certain mental advantage over the guys that didn't make it to the goal they are under more pressure you have like already checked one goal so you will be flying much more relaxed uh, than other pilots so, so this would be like a Really good tip. Uh, and then probably if you're flying, uh, if you're listening this and maybe you're not flying for the very, very first place, uh, looking in front where the other pilots go can save you a lot of time. So we had some situations uh, that unfortunately also some days I didn't also quite see good but uh, 
if you look in front where the pilots went, you can make a better decision. Don't go if they if it's not working for them. Well, try something else. So it's if you're flying in the back, you have like some advantages of, of, of flying. So just make better better decisions. That was, uh, I would say, you know, the last day. The last day I actually uh, came uh, on the podium. I I missed uh, the 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 third overall place for six points, but but it I I made it the last day. Uh, what what happened? You know, we had this long task. At at the end, we were gliding from the north of Valle back to the airport, and I was there with. Uh, Piero, I saw Mitch in front of me, and, and we were in a good position. But I knew if we go on a final glide together, I have a C glider, they have a CCC glider. Like, I I just can't make it with them. <laughs> so I made a good decision. I saw it's uh, it's weak, it's windy, and I left the guys. I got drifted all the way to Sakamakate, uh, got climbed, and... I was one of seven that made it to the goal and it put it me on the podium like on the first place in the sport and serial just by making a good decision on what was going on like easily I could have been pulled like some other guys to to go on a final glide with them and then end up short because I would end up short for sure the other guys did uh, Piero didn't make it, uh, and uh, I wouldn't make it also for sure. So uh, decisions on the what's what's going on uh, mm. it's also good. What about um, speed to fly? And you know, I I'd actually ask you to think about places not like Valle because Valle is you know, one of these rare places where you can use I think a lot more bar than we often do in, in other parts of the world because you can just get in these crazy I mean that that day we had the concentric circle task that was just you know the guys that were top three just <laughs> never came off bar you know, there was no point you know you just yeah. never turned um, but you know I think speed to fly still for a lot of people is kind of this mystery thing you know we we can't you know, we, we can't really fly like the hang gliders, you know, we can't really fly McCready. Um, so how, you know, how, how are you deciding how much bar to fly? Um, and especially in comps, but I, I guess just in general, but especially in comps. Well, I, I must, uh, a bit of disagree here. I would say that speed to fly and McCready rules apply for us also. Uh, and I, this is something what I also teach on the cross country courses. I will tell you one secret. I have a, a flight tech 6030, mm -hmm. uh, for one reason, because it is, has like a, an average thermals of the day on the scale on the, on the Vario. And based on that, I think about the speed I should be flying, uh, to have the optimum, uh, glide, uh, like to be the most efficient. Uh, so I do use it. Mm. Just this is something that people have to work out. Uh, what we are normally I teach on the on some workshops for the instructors and uh, cross country performance courses and stuff. 
the tools what they can use to make their own polar curve based on their glider and how much speed bar they should be using uh, if you have an average speed uh, of thermals let's say two meters per second for for a comp glider it will mean you'll be flying all the time let's say 70 percent speed bar but uh, for a big glider it will be maybe just 30 depends on the glider so this is something that really have to put people a little bit mathematics uh, onto it uh, to see how it works uh, but uh, we do depend on this and then also some misconception about the average uh, thermal uh, people think oh yeah we had uh, thermals like if you really want to apply speed to fly and uh, and McCready and all these theories you really need to know the real average thermal so maybe we got like peaks five but at the end from the time you caught the thermal you found the core you moved maybe a little bit here there you got some like altitude that you divide by time and you, you will get what was your average speed and i will tell you if the peaks were like five the average thermal was two mm. Yep. Or, or maybe 2.5 like if it's really blasting day it's therm average thermals of 3 meters per second but it's really like super good so so yeah I would say it's important maybe as you say here in Valle it's a bit different story because you catch convergence so if you push into it before you're winning there some time because you're not thermaling, you're just uh, like flying for free. But maybe if you are uh, flying in Colombia or in flats, then you will really have to think about it. I, I will tell you one story. I ended up uh, in 2009 and the uh, first super final of, in Poggio Bustone, I ended up ninth uh, overall. And why this uh, why uh, a result? I bought uh, 6030 and I bought uh, the speed probe that was uh, telling you your airspeed. And then you could set up an, your 6030, the polar curve, and it would tell you like which speed you should be flying. Uh, at, at the comp, the weather was not very good. It was weak. Uh, and the pilots were very eager to win. So everybody was pushing uh, full speed bar. And I was just reading the instrument. I was saying, this is crazy. Like uh, the instrument is saying we can't push so much. So every thermal, I would come maybe a bit uh, later into the thermal, but I would come always higher into the thermal. And I, I could stay really most of the time above the leading uh, uh, gaggle. So it was like yeah. really good uh, and really great discovery for me. So it works it works just uh, you have to a little bit pay attention to it so it, it will depend how much speed bar on the daily average uh, sink uh, you're flying in headwind and stuff like this and this is all something that you can play like if you draw your own polar curve and uh, make some maths on, on it. it it's you will understand much better how to drain the maximum performance of your paraglider and also not to fly uh, too fast. Yeah. There are some like, so, like misconceptions. Um, 
what I also noticed, uh, many people goes uh, maybe flies a big glider and uh, on the cob they go full bar against uh, wind and stuff like this to get a better glide. But if you check your power curve, you will see that you really need a little speed bar of flying against the wind and if you're flying a B. So it will change between the gliders, uh, between the aspect ratio uh, and stuff, how, how much speed bar you should be using. And I would say if you really want to have a good performance, to perform good, you really need to know uh, your glider and what you can drain out of it, you know, the maximum performance you can take. So talk about that because I know you've 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 lost a lot of listeners there, especially the folks that are getting on their first B and C. You know, explain polar curve, explain how they can utilize it, explain how they can, um, you know, enter that into their into their systems. These days, with a lot of systems, they've made it pretty easy. You can just tell the system what wing you have, and it'll enter the polars for you. But can you give some more color on uh, just ex- just explain that because I, I think some people were were going to be googling then right then when you were talking. Well, if you're Googling, then Google geogebra.org uh, and there you put uh, Flumen, that's the name of my school, or Aprende a Volar, or you can put also Polar Curve, and you will get like some really cool uh, polar curves with stuff you can play with, uh, the wind, uh, the type of glider, and you can download it on your computer. And you can really play and you can see the differences between the different types of uh, gliders. Uh, and it will tell you your make ready speed, uh, how much uh, speed bar with this and that wind. So, so if you really want, if you're into it, this is like the most fantastic thing you will find on the internet. So geogebra.org and then just search Flumen or put the polar curve. Uh, maybe if you put like triple seven rook or boomerang, it will pop out uh, somewhere there. Cool. I'll I'll uh, I'll add that to our show notes so people can explore that. Very cool. Uh, a question that just came in for you, actually. I've got a little thing going on right now on Facebook. Um, any tips for uh, saving your legs? You know, on a big long day when you're using a lot of speed. Um, do you have any do you have any stra- tips or strategies for pilots to not fry their their legs pressing so much bar? Uh, Ronston ratchets, uh, <laughs> like the yeah, Ronston ratchets. Uh, that's definitely uh, like without that you just can't make it. Okay, so really good uh, pulleys. Uh, I I really like this orbit Ronston ratchets uh, that. You can buy it also online on some websites and it comes with some racing harnesses. It's really, really saves your legs. Well, of course, it's good also to be in the good shape. Yeah, yeah, that, that helps as well. Uh, Marco, you've talked about a lot of, the, you know, kind of the, like the technical things and the school stuff. And, you know, what are what's another kind of foundational thing that you think maybe is undervalued uh, or that people really need to be doing? Uh, I would say the SIV courses, uh, it's not, you know, SIV courses, they, it's always like good to have, but 
Also, the way how the SIVs should be done now with the modern gliders. People think, oh, I made an SIV like a couple of years ago. Yeah, I know how to make a full stall, whatever. But the thing is, the gliders, they changed quite a lot, really a lot. It's it's really not uh, uh, something... uh, invented uh, the gliders behave uh, quite differently and there are the techniques that were taught before on the SIVs how to do the things are some are really outdated some really shouldn't be done anymore uh, and especially like a focus I would give on practicing and controlling the sat outer rotation, which uh, with modern gliders uh, with high aspect ratio is more and more common to happen. So before you got some collapse, it would pull you into the spiral, you would throw the reserve and all good. But nowadays the gliders, they like to go into the sat type outer rotation. When you throw the reserve the normal way, it dangles into the lines and you have a huge problem. And these things sh- can be practiced and they're really easy to to handle. Uh, with, uh, with weight shifting, I, I do this uh, on my SRE courses and uh, you can make uh, this without any, like I personally, just to show it to students, I do it completely without the brakes going into sat uh, with the uh, half glider closed, no brakes at all and just going out so they can see it can be done quite easily. And this is something I would really focus on the pilots uh, to practice on the SIVs because modern gliders, they really don't forgive that one. That's great advice. What, what about um, some of the things that should be dropped from SIV. You mentioned that, you know, a lot of the things that, you know, were kind of staples of SIV aren't really appropriate. You know, for instance, uh, a full stall. Before, uh, it was like, oh, you just put the hands down and you hold it, you hold it, you hold it, you hold it. Now you do this, you put the hands down, you hold it, you hold it, and you're twisted. Like, mm-hmm. you, do, you do this on Zeno, you are twisted immediately, okay? So this stuff can't be done anymore uh, this way. So there are different ways now how to do a a full stall, especially on the high aspect ratio gliders. The the full stall should be done differently. It's a different uh, manner and uh, how we use the backfly and uh, and stuff like like this is something completely different and... uh, should be like I know should be upgraded uh, uh, in the future on the, all the courses yeah they um, for those of you listening I, I actually gave a talk about this when I was down at the uh, at the pre-PWC in Zapolta Tech back in December and I showed the videos that Charles and Seiko have been doing they've got some great educational videos in Annecy about you know, about the Xeno and doing a lot with your bees, but also they, they, they very clearly show the kind of proper way to do that, you know, the backfly and release and, and, uh, you know, I would think of it more kind of like an acro full stall, uh, and instead of, you know, setting yourself up for what's almost an inevitable cravat, if you just (laughs) bury the hands. Great. Oh, fantastic. Um, the other, the other thing too, you know, some of the acro pilots we've had on the show, they talk about, 
you know, that if you do an SIV, you know, say even if you're, you're good and you do an SIV once a year, which we wish everybody would do at least that many, but, um, you know, usually in an SIV, you get, you might do a few stalls at the end of the last day kind of thing. And the, the acro guys are horrified by that. You know, what, what, what do you, what do you encourage your students to, you know, they all talk about at least 300 stalls before you even, you know, you should even think about moving on. You should, you mean, a full stall should be like launching and should just be something you don't think about too much. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Uh, I fortunately can practice this a uh, lot, uh, and I practice it even here in YA with all the gliders I get. I make like a whole session to know how it works. I tell to my students uh, always like the first SIV you will make, it's just an introduction. Okay, you won't learn much, but you will know what can happen and how your glider behaves and, and stuff, you won't be confident to make uh, some stalls. But then maybe if you do it regularly and then after the third SIV, then you get relaxed. And if it's not like a third after five years, you know, uh, then you get much more relaxed uh, about uh, what you're doing and to understand. And so people come on my SIV, like they return, they change the glider, or they just want a little bit refreshment, a uh, couple of toes, and uh, just that they feel comfortable with it. And at the end, everybody's doing uh, helicos, black flies, uh, whatever, like no, uh, no problem. What do you? Uh, Go ahead. I, I would also say one one important uh, thing, maybe if some of the instructors are listening. Uh, I every glider that comes on the SIV like that I haven't flown I first take it in the air and I try it before doing SIV with the student uh, so I know how it behaves what I will tell him so it's like something that helps me also a little bit me to just feel the stuff and, and think but I, I would really recommend to the instructors like take the glider in the air, try it yourself, how it works, so you can give a really precise instructions to your student. Great. Um, how do you feel about uh, doing a bunch of SIV on, you know, on a comp glider? Because there was, I, and I, I don't want to put him on the spot because he may have changed his view now. This was quite a few years ago, but at the at the uh, the World Cup here in 2012, um, Russ Ogden gave a incredible talk that you know was, we put up on youtube and it went crazy viral but he talked a lot about two liners and you know how things had changed and how you know just the whole old school hands up in a frontal situation was potentially lethal on these newer gliders you know that you really had to catch them um so it was it was great stuff but when people asked him about practicing siv he really actually recommended that that we didn't do it on our, on our, you know, super high aspect wings that we do it on our old beat up B. Um, but how, how do you feel about that now? Cause you know, when, when I look at Charles and Seiko's, uh, videos, you know, they're, I, I can't remember that. I think they were doing them on the Enzos too, but they were certainly doing them on the Zenos. But, um, you know, I, it seems like now with the kind of the new knowledge and really like, like you're talking about acro stalling instead of full stalls and, you know, utilizing backfly. Um, it seems like we can really, we can and should 
practice? Yes, uh, I think like what you're flying, you you should know how to stall it, spin it, and go out of it. Like whatever thing you're flying, if you can't do that, maybe you end up in situation you can't resolve. So I had uh, recently talked with a guy, and he says like. Uh, it's crazy if you're flying something that you can't stall or spin uh, and uh, get out of it. Uh, so I think people should be doing SIVs also on their comp gliders for sure. And I can see if you open on YouTube and you search uh, for Fabio Blanco, he's teaching there the French team. Everybody's doing uh, everything on the comp gliders. It looks spectacular and the guys just nail it. So they can fly much more relaxed because they they have the thing in the tip of the toe, if you say so. Great, great, perfect. Speaking of, okay, big transition. Uh, we talked a little bit of X-Alps when I was down there. Do I understand correctly that you're, uh, you're gunning for it in 2019? Okay, it should have been a bit secret, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, that's a little bit of the idea. Um, yes, uh, I have it for a while, and uh, I think uh, uh, I was listening the other day uh, or saw the podcast about selection of uh, the athletes. Uh, I think uh, I would have the, the stuff uh, just to prepare the uh physically the body uh for the thing uh, i think flying is not a problem uh, and uh, just to get into good shape so but mexico is good for for training we have uh, good terrain quite high so place for running that we go for run it's at three thousand meters so it's really good good training uh place excellent well that's that's a that's super exciting. And if I can, if I can help your campaign in any way, uh, you know, let me know that's, you, you, you learn a lot going through it, of course. And it's, God, there's just so much logistics, of course, as you know, so it's, it, there's many little moving parts, but if I can, if I can help or assist in any way, let me know. I'm more than happy to answer questions, but it makes me smile just thinking about it. It's a lot of fun. Th thanks for this. I, I know, uh, that is one of the like the 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 things about the XOPS. It's the the logistics, uh, like the thing behind the the athlete, uh, and uh, I know that's the most important thing. Yeah, that that's that's what's yeah. It's the the unsung heroes for sure are your your team. Those are the guys that are really working hard. But uh, yeah, well, well, cool. Well, that's that's exciting. That'll be that'll be really fun. And watching how you fly a Monarca, that I definitely have somebody to worry about there. <laughs> You're an awesome pilot. Uh, well, great, Marco. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Uh, those, that's some just super valuable stuff about three liners. And that's great. I think the listeners are going to really enjoy that. Uh, folks, we'll be putting up in the show notes, I'll be putting up all the links to Marco's school and the, the race he's doing down in Valle and, and uh, all the things we were talking about. I'll make sure I put all those in the show notes. So check that out. Uh, Marco, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Gavin, uh, for uh, inviting me to your podcast. I must say I'm honored uh, to 
to share some ideas here. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, and uh, I hope uh, my tips will help someone uh, to become a better glider. I really, I really appreciate uh, giving, sharing here some ideas. Awesome. Thanks, Marco. Appreciate it. If you're enjoying the show, if you got something out of this one or one of the many, many, many previous episodes with all these uh, great folks that have been so kind with their time to come on the mayhem and share their knowledge with you, if you get something out of it, think of it like a magazine subscription or going to the movies or something. Uh, if it's been entertaining or informative, all we ask for and all we've ever asked for is a buck a show. We don't do this with sponsors. We do it through you, our listening audience. So please support our work and uh, we'll keep bringing it to you. You can find the links to do that on cloudbasedmayhem.com or you can uh, support us where you can support us through PayPal or through Patreon. Uh, a couple different ways to do it where you can set it and forget it, which is pretty fun. Uh, you can also support it just by sharing it. Share it on Facebook. Tell your friends. Share it on other platforms. Uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, all those. That's a way where I can leverage my own sponsors to help make this work. So lots of different ways you can do this, but mostly just spread the word. It's all about making the community safer and uh, making us all better pilots. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. We'll see you on the next show. Cheers. Cheers.